0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening.
1: Some of you are clearly not ready for Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. Wherever you're watching or worshiping from around the world, we're so glad that you've gathered with us. Well, we're in a Christmas series. We've called it Wish, and we're going to be studying today from Genesis chapter 12. If you have a copy of God's Word, I hope that you do. Genesis chapter 12. We've called it Wish. Everybody has a Christmas wish. What are you wishing for for this Christmas? So, my kids have been asking me, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? My only response has been, Guys, I just want time with my kids. That's all I want for Christmas. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Time is the greatest gift. That's what I wish. But that's usually not enough for them. And so we've been asking them for their Christmas list and your Christmas wish. And so Sunday, or actually yesterday, my oldest son from Texas, living in Austin, he he texts me, right before Kansas is about to play Mizzou for the first time since 2012, the border war is about to ensue. He says, Dad, Abby and I are going to get you something for Christmas just tell us what you want. Quit making us guess. And so here's what I said. This is what I wish for, son. Number one, I wish that KU will beat Mizzou today. Number two, I wish for a full head of hair. So guys, right now it's going very well. I'm off to one out, one out of two. One out of two. Guys, you knew I had to go there today. You understood that, Right? A place of grace. Sorry, guys. I lost half my audience. I love you guys from Mizzou. I love you too. I do. You need Jesus more than anybody I know, but <laughs> I love you guys too. Jesus came for you. There's salvation. There's hope. There's hope. I don't know about the other part of my wish list. We'll see how it goes. I'll tell you by the end of the month if I get what I want, okay? Yeah, you'll know. You'll know if I get it. I- I'm-, I'm-, I'm wishing. I'm hoping. But guys, here's the reality. It is a time of year where we have a wish, a Christmas wish. And we began last week talking about this, and of course it is an acronym. We talked last week about the the wonder of creation. You can't really understand the Christmas story and where it fits into human history, which is really his story. If you don't understand God's plan for man from the very beginning was to establish a kingdom that would be without end. He establishes Adam in the garden and says, Adam, I want you to take my seed into the intimacy with your bride Eve and establish a race of beings that will all bear my image, image bearers. I'm going to establish my kingdom through you. But of course, Adam's sin, that commission was canceled and with sin came ruin. But it was still in the garden, Genesis 3.15, that God gave us the first Christmas promise, this prophecy that a Messiah, the anointed one, will one day come and reverse the curse of Adam's sin. For all creation and all men and all women, he looked at the serpent and said, the seed of the woman is one day gonna crush your head. And with those words, a prophecy was born, and what we have in Christmas is the fulfillment of this prophecy. The seed of the woman has come, born of a virgin, and his name is Jesus. And do you understand, apart from understanding God's plan, you can't really understand the significance of this baby, born 2,000 years ago in history that has forever redefined all of eternity. And I want to talk about the I in wish today, which is the insanity of generosity. Do You understand that Calvary is insanity. What Jesus did when he went to the cross is God's display in a tangible way of the generosity of this God from eternity. You understand what Jesus said in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave us all that he had to redeem all that was lost because of sin. And generosity is one of our core values. And Peyton already said it, guys. I just wanna, as your pastor tell you, how thankful I am for the generosity displayed in this church. And yesterday, over 900 families were blessed at our Christmas Resource Fair by your generosity. And it's the insanity of generosity. You guys are crazy generous. And I just want to say thank you as your pastor, how proud I am of you. Steve Brown, our campus pastor over in Blue Springs, sent me this picture this week. There was a family in the Blue Springs campus that actually went out and bought and brought 54 brand new blankets last week to give away yesterday at our Christmas Resource Fair. That's insanity. I mean, that's crazy generosity. Thank you thank you. You see, this is what Jesus meant when he said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Even so, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's one thing to say we love our city, we love our community, but it's not enough to say it. We've got to show it, which is why we say all the time we're here. To be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Independence, you guys are killing it over there. I heard yesterday the line at our Christmas resource fair over at Independence was longer than the Lee Summit Whataburger grand opening. <laughs> wow. You're making a difference in Independence. Way to go. Listen, our food pantry, guys, this year, it wouldn't happen without you. Our food pantry here in Lee Summit this year has served over 71,000 people. In our community. I had no idea years ago what that food pantry would become. Over in independent, your food pantry this year has grown from on average serving seven families a week to 50 families a week. You guys are amazing. I'm trying to tell you church is your pastor, I'm just proud of you. I'm just here to say thank you. That we can do generous things as a church because of your generosity. We can't be a generous church without very generous people. And this is what is making a difference, not just for time, but for eternity. When you're generous with your money and your energy and you're generous with your opportunities. And, you know, everything in us naturally wants to use it for self. But Jesus does something in us. The insanity of Calvary is why we can choose the insanity of generosity. One of our global partners, of the over 50 global partners we have, and every time you give through Abundant Life, you help support a lot of other ministries besides Abundant Life. We have ministry partners on almost every continent in the world doing in Africa and Southeast Asia and the Middle East and and South America and, and Africa, doing everything we're doing here, they're doing somewhere, and you make that possible, one of our ministry partners is a partner right here locally that we have helped support prayerfully and financially for many, many years. It's Rachel House Crisis Pregnancy Centers, now known as Resource Health. And this past year, Rachel House has shared the gospel with over 1,800 people, and they have interceded, intervened in over 3,000 crisis pregnancies. Now, because you've been so generous, we're able to be insanely generous. I like doing crazy things that don't make sense. And what we're about to do is give a Christmas offering to Rachel House, or now Resource Health. There's a lot of people give a Christmas offering. And uh, this is what we're doing. As Peyton said, we're about to begin renovating the Crossroads as we are taking the gospel to the least reached part of Kansas City to reach the least reached generation, the very heart of our city we have bought a 1940s warehouse that next month is going to be starting to be renovated into a church house. So about a year from now, we're going to be worshiping and gathering in the crossroads of our city, taking the gospel to new people in new places. This is actually a parking lot in between the two buildings we bought at 1822 and 1840 Cherry. And this is going to become this beautiful courtyard. All of this is going to begin next month so if you haven't had a chance to give to this project now's an opportunity to give if you're doing some year-end giving but this is what I want to be I want to be the kind of church that doesn't just receive the blessings but give away the blessings See, I want to be the kind of church that gives away what God has given us. That's why one of our core values is generosity. We told God 20 years ago as we were just getting started, God, we promised that whatever you give us, we will not keep for us. We will give it away to others. And that's what you're allowing us to do. Because while we're doing this, and yes, it's going to take a lot of money, like several million dollars to take a 1940s warehouse and make it into a church house. We're about to give a great big Christmas offering to Resource Health. And I want you to see this video because it's going to explain why. Watch very carefully.
0: The thought, just the very thought of telling my parents I was pregnant, I would much rather have gone through with an abortion in my mind. I was, you know, 18, I was in college, but I remembered the Rachel house.
2: What kept me coming back to Rachel House was the non-judgment I felt coming there. It was just like, oh yeah, come back, we'll check on you, and they were checking in on me even after hours. The nurses would text me, and they would ask me, where well, was I okay, and they followed through with your care, and I've never experienced that before anywhere.
1: I did not think I was going to like the program when I first went into it, but it turned into more not just a class but a support system with this being my first child i felt like i was going to be able to um be all right with things that we learned from the rachel house classes and the aftercare resources that they still provided i
0: remember laying on the table being Terrified, and the lady that did the ultrasound she got kind of quiet and she said, I'll be right back. So then they came back in and they told me that I was having twins, and I remember feeling all the blood rush to my head, and I just I could not believe it. It was quite a shock. It took me a long time to really process that I was actually having twins. So, um, after seeing them on the screen, I just decided that I couldn't do it, that I had to keep them. You know, one way or another, I was
2: going to make this work. I really needed those sonograms when I was going. I had no insurance. I just lost my job. Two older kids, you know, COVID was going on as early into that. So, it was a scary time. And uh, without this, I may have just took the easy road out and made a decision that you know for the rest of my life i believe i would have always thought about man i did this because i didn't have anywhere to go
1: if i did not attend the rachel house classes i honestly don't think that i would be the father i am today the things they teach you the things they talk to you about the the relationship you gain, the guidance, the information you get, you can't buy it.
0: My kids have brought so much joy into my family's life. There's a reason that they're here. I am just still so grateful that I chose to walk into Rachel House when I did.
1: My faith in humanity has really gone up seeing all the um, people who partner with the Rachel House, um, seeing how God really works in those people's lives.
2: My life was greatly impacted by the support that I've had with being a part of Rachel House. And now that I'm on my path and I feel like that I made the right decision, which was to birth Selah, I really believe God put her in my life to restore a lot of broken relationships that I had had. And she's been a focus point and a reason to kind yeah. of restore and, you know, get that love back on. So it's been, it's been really good.
1: I think that's baby language for it's been real good. Praise be to God. 3,000 times this past year, a woman has come into Rachel House, now Resource Health, thinking their only option was abortion. And over and over again they walk out and realize there is another option, there's life. There's no telling how many children today are walking around because of this ministry, because Rachel help give them life, and you help give them life. And it's one of our ministry partners we've had for many, many years. So church, here we are. We have lots and lots of needs. We're about to renovate this building. We're going to be launching the Crossroads next year. It's going to cost lots and lots of money. But you know what I love? I love not just praying, God, meet our needs. God, help us meet other people's needs. See, it's true corporately as a church family, it's true of our lives individually, that when we don't just try to meet our needs and look inwardly, but when we start living outwardly, God begins to move miraculously. So what we're about to do is insanity. It's crazy. We're about to give a Christmas offering to Resource Health. We're about to write a check for $150,000. And you have made that possible to do. Thank you. And I want you to see that the insanity of generosity is because of the insanity of Calvary, that Jesus chose the insanity of Calvary is why we can live now crazy generously. You see, that was displayed in a tangible way when Jesus went to the cross. Understand, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical what God chose to do for me and for you. As a matter of fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is insanity. It is foolishness to those that are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, why is it foolishness? Why is it crazy sounding? I mean, the gospel is insanity. You know why? Because logic says we're the ones that have sinned, we're the ones that have to work off our sin to get to him. You understand, every other faith system, every other religion, it doesn't matter what the name is, leaves you working your way to heaven whether it's Islam or Buddhism or Confucianism or just fill in the blank with any other ism, they all come back to the very same system. It is up to you to be good and keep a list of things to do and hopefully you'll appease God and hopefully then you can earn God's love for you. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. Do you understand on the cross of Calvary, Jesus did all the work for you. You can't work your way into heaven because it's not what you do for God. It's what God has done for you. You see, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. It's crazy. It's insanity. What do you mean? There's nothing you have to do. That's exactly what the gospel is about. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, the gospel is about a gift, it's not a reward for being good. You see, rewards can be earned. Heaven is not a reward for being good. You understand, it is a gift for being guilty. A gift is something given for free. You simply have to receive it by faith. Friends, that is insanity. And that is why we can choose the insanity of generosity because Jesus has given so generously to you and me. Jesus gave all he had for all of us. It is not so little that we might give a little For the one who gave it all. Now, I want you to see, listen carefully, the insanity of Calvary, what Jesus did on the cross, is displayed, I'm convinced, in Jesus' genealogy. So most of the time when we talk about Christmas and you hear a Christmas series and you hear a Christmas sermon, everything centers on the nativity. I promise we're going to get there. When I say the nativity, you know the imagery, you probably have a nativity set in your house or maybe your grandma had one and you remember seeing it and you know you got the stable, you got the barn, you got the little baby Jesus in a manger, you got Mary, you got the shepherd, you got the magi, and most of the time, that's the only thing anyone talks about at Christmas. But I'm convinced the real story of the nativity... The real story behind the story is in the genealogy. I'm a little bit of a nerd, I admit it. I read the parts of the Bible, others skip. I do. And to me, the best part of the Christmas narrative is not in the nativity with the Magi and the Bethlehem star. No, that's awesome. But the best part is in the genealogies. And did you know when you read the Christmas narrative in the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, they begin with the genealogy. They don't begin with the baby in a manger. You know why? Because there'd be no baby in a manger without the genealogy. See, God promised that one day the anointed one, the promised seed would come to reverse the curse of Adam's sin. But he had to establish a lineage, a genealogy. Otherwise, anyone could show up and say, I'm the one, I'm the anointed one, y'all follow me, I'm that guy. And others have. Jesus said there would be false Christs who would come. And even by the time of Christ, when he really did come, there'd already been others who said, I'm the Christ, people would come. But here's what none of them had going for them. They didn't have the lineage God had prophesied for that one when he would finally come. Uh, this past August, my family and I went on vacation to Maui, Hawaii. First time ever, you know, once-in-a-lifetime vacation. Got canceled in 2020 because of COVID. Finally got to go again and re- reschedule. And the amazing thing is the day after we left, they shut down the whole island again. So, like, we barely got in, right? But while we were there, we were in this little tourist town on Maui. And we were just kind of shopping, going through the downtown city center. And we came to the center in the city park. And under a tree sat a man with a great big homemade sign and it read this way, I am literally Jesus Christ, (laughs) literally, yeah. And uh, there were tourists going up to him, taking pictures and posing and cheesing and kind of making a joke out of it, but I realized after watching this for a minute, this guy ain't joking, like he really thinks he's Jesus. He's a false Christ. And so I, I, I admit, I, I decided to have a little bit of fun. I'm on vacation, okay? I couldn't resist. I went up to Jesus. <laughs> I said, Jesus, you look like you're from Texas. I said, uh, when did you return? Like, when was the second coming? He said, May the 1st, 2020. 2020. Jesus came back last year, May the 1st, 2020. Did you know? I didn't either. News to me. May the 1st, 2020. I said, well, Jesus, where are you from? He said, heaven. I said, no, I mean, what tribe are you from? Like, if you don't know the tribe you're from, you're not Jesus. He couldn't answer the question. I said, Jesus, you would know what tribe if you're from, if you're really Jesus. Jesus. And so after having a little bit of fun, I walked away. I didn't take a picture, and I said, you know, honestly, I don't think the real Jesus would really appreciate you acting like you're Jesus, but I'll let that stay between you and him, okay, someday. So here's the point, though. He, 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 he didn't have the genealogy. He, he can't prove he's Jesus because he doesn't fit the qualifications of the lineage. And so what happens? In Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, about 2100 B.C., he calls out a man named Abram. He'll later change his name to Abraham, and he's going to be the one God chooses through which this promised seed would one day come. And he begins tracing that genealogy through this man Abram. Abram's name means exalted father. He's going to change his name to Abraham, the father of nations or the father of multitudes. And he tells this man Abram, I'm going to use you to bless all nations, theologians call this the Abrahamic covenant. And so it says this in Genesis chapter 12 and verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now we know at the time, Abram, his country was a city known as the Ur of the Chaldees and archeologists have excavated it, a very ancient city that once sat on the Fertile Crescent, what is today Iraq, in between the Tigris and Euphrates River. It's a real place, an ancient city. And this is where Abram lived at this time. He says, I want you to leave your city and your family, go west to a land I will show you. We later find out it's the land of Canaan, or what's today, the land of Israel. It says this, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a Blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, watch this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was promising Abram that through him, through his seed, through his lineage, all families of the earth will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter four as he's sharing the gospel about himself with the woman at the well. He says salvation is of the Jews. See, what Jesus was teaching is that the Jews gave gave us our Savior. Jesus didn't come just to save the Jews, but it was through the Jews that the Savior would come to one day redeem all people and all of creation. That's the Abrahamic covenant. It began in history with this man named Abram who would become the father of the Jews that would eventually give us Jesus. Now, I'm telling you guys, the real story and the insanity of Christmas, of all the insane things, I'm convinced the insanity is really in Jesus' genealogy begins with Adam. In Luke chapter three, Luke gives us the genealogy, clear back to Adam. Now in Matthew, the genealogy stops at Abraham because Matthew wrote his gospel specifically to the Jews to prove that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy related to a Jewish Messiah. So all the Jews cared about was Abraham. Does he have a lineage from Abraham? But Luke takes the genealogy past Abraham, clear back to Adam. If you count every single name in Luke three of the genealogy, There are 77 names going clear back to Adam. You know why? Because Jesus came for all people, not just the Jews. But what is absolutely insane is that God would choose a man by the name of Abraham to carry that seed of Genesis 3.15. Now, I'm telling you this because we all have this idea in our mind's eye that, you know, these heroes of the faith, they were stalwarts. They were like superstars spiritually. And when you get to know their stories, you realize the insanity of Jesus' genealogy. It is pockmarked with sin and depravity. I challenge you when you're reading the Christmas story this Christmas to start with the genealogy, all right? It, it, it's insanity. So on Christmas morning, we would always have this family tradition before the kids could open presents and the insanity begins, we would make them all sit down and I would read the Christmas story. And we would read the nativity and, and, and read the Christmas story before you know all the gifts begin. And I was a bad dad. I tortured my children purposely by reading very, very slowly Yeah, now if you really wanna torture your kids this year, because that's what a good dad does, you understand that, right? You torture them a little bit. I mean, not in ways you're gonna harm them, but you know know what I'm saying. So if you really wanna be a bad dad this year, get your bad dad award. When you read the Christmas story on Christmas morning and you read really, really slowly, don't start with the nativity, start with the genealogy (laughs) and work forward. Yeah, they're really gonna earn those gifts this year. Because the real story of the nativity, the real story behind the story, the real story of this baby named Jesus is in this genealogy. Abram, of all people, Abraham, he's the stalwart, he's the father of the faith, not just the father of the Jews. And the apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 would call him the father of the faithful. Like spiritually, he is the father of us all. Yet, here is a man that had some real issues. When you look at the story of Abram, I mean, he had real issues, and all these guys had issues. 77 names. I'm just going to talk four or five of the famous names, right? So, you got Abraham, he's a chronic liar. He is. So you read the narrative in Genesis, from Genesis 12 to about Genesis 27, so Abram had this issue with lying. He had some issues. They all got issues. Now, don't judge Abraham. You got issues too, yes? Turn to somebody right now and say, you got issues. Look back at him and say, you got issues too. <laughs> now, it's one thing for you and me to have issues, but Abram, Abraham, he's the father of the faith. So one day, it was a time of famine in Canaan. He takes his wife, Sarah down to Egypt to escape the famine, and on the way down, he tells Sarah, honey, I know you're up in years, and we're both up in years, but you are still a hati. I mean, you are a good-looking woman. She must have been smoking, really, because he tells her, look, when the Egyptians see you, and they see me, and they see you, and they see me, they're going to kill me so they can marry you. I know this is going to happen. When we go to the full court of Pharaoh, he's going to want you to become one of his wives because you're just that irresistible, honey. And so he concocts a plan to save his own skin. He says, honey, let's just tell Pharaoh when we see him that you're my sister. Can you imagine a husband looking at his wife and say, honey, let's just, let's just tell Pharaoh you're my sister. Now, here's the deal. It was a half-truth. Sarah was his half-sister, That sounds weird, but in ancient days, it really wasn't. Sarah is the half-sister of Abraham. And he says, let's just tell him you're my sister. It's a half-truth, but of course, that's a whole lie. And so that's exactly what happens. They go in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh welcomes them. And Pharaoh says, honey, you are good looking. I'd like you to be one of my wives. And you would expect at this point Abraham to say, oh, no, Pharaoh, sorry, we're married. She's my wife, my woman. But no, he chooses to pimp out his wife to save his own life. I'm telling you, this genealogy reads like a bad sitcom or a really bad soap opera, that's exactly what happened. So he takes her into his own harem, and he's preparing to marry her. And then it tells us one day Pharaoh looks out his window, and he sees Abraham and Sarah. Let's just say they're not acting like brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, I love how the King James Version puts it. It says, Pharaoh looked out his window and saw Abraham sporting with his wife. <laughs> Winky eye. as kind of a rated G way of saying they were making out or something, okay? Then he realizes, wait a minute, that's not your sister. You're, you're married to her? You almost let me marry her? She's married? He sends them up, packs them up, sends them back to Canaan. Can you imagine that long, silent, camel ride home? Listen, I've been on vacation before. You ever been on vacation? You're far from home you get in a little bit of a spat with your wife on the last day. It's a long, silent car ride home. Okay, so I'm the only one that's ever happened to. Right, sure. <laughs> can you imagine this camel ride home? Long, silent. You pimp me out? I mean, years later, Sarah says, Honey, can you help me do the dishes? No, I'm watching the game. You pimp me out. Get in here. <laughs> now, listen, Abraham didn't just do it once. If you read the whole narrative, he does it Again. Years later, with another king, a Canaanite king known as Abimelech. Very same move. Have you ever done the same stupid, sinful thing again and again and again and again? It's called insanity. You know, of course, the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing again, expecting different results. This is insane. Abraham... Haven't you learned? Listen, Abraham is just like us. That's the amazing thing. God chose to bring the Son of God through sinful men and sinful women. What's he trying to teach us? Jesus came for sinners like you and me, those with the biggest issues like Abraham. Now, Abraham finally has a son by the name of Isaac. Understand, it is hard to become the father of nations, if you can't even bear one son, and we're told in the text that Abram and Sarah, they were barren. It was gonna take a miracle. And this miracle baby's finally born 25 years later. Let me ask you, do you need a Christmas miracle? Do you understand miracles normally happen so subtly, so slowly, so gradually, you don't even know you're in the middle of a miracle? That's the nature of most miracles. Miracles. This miracle was 25 years in the making. See, we think God isn't moving if God doesn't answer our prayer in the next 10 minutes. No, it's not how God moves. God takes his own time to answer our prayers. And sometimes you're getting, you're in the middle of a miracle, you just don't know it. That was the nature of Abraham. They have the son named Isaac. Isaac would be that promise bearer, that promise keeper of that promised seed. Through Isaac, the seed of Genesis 3.15 is gonna be carried to the next generation. Now Isaac and his wife Rebecca have two sons named Esau and Jacob. You've heard of Jacob. Perhaps you've heard of Israel. God will change Jacob's name to Israel. Israel, which means prince with God, and he needed a name change, because Jacob is a name that means manipulator, usurper, deceiver. I actually named my oldest son Jacob, we call him Jake. He found out what his name meant when he was about 10 years of age. He said, Dad, why'd you name me Jacob? Son, relax. Jacob had his name changed to Israel, means prince with God, you're a prince with God. There you go, okay. But Jacob was a long ways in the making. Here's a man that wrestled with God. He ran from God for years and years and years of his life. He came out of his mother's womb, grasping the heel of his twin brother Esau. Esau was born first. He was grasping at the heel of his brother, and that would set the stage for the rest of their life. He was always manipulating, always wrestling, always usurping. It was Esau who was born first. Now, that's very important you know that, because in the ancient days, the firstborn son had what was called the birthright. And the birthright meant that when your father died and you came of age, you would assume the role of patriarch of the family. You would be the head of the family and assume that responsibility, and you would also get a double portion of your father's estate. The birthright was very important. By the way, the imagery of you and me, do you understand as you connect the dots of scripture, it says in Romans chapter eight and verse 29, that whom God foreknew, you and me, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, Jesus is the firstborn son. Not that he had a beginning, but that title assumes that he, you see, is the head of the father's estate. And check this out. It says in Romans eight seventeen that we are children of God, and if children of God, we are heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. <laughs> that title, son of God, means something. Child of God. All right, but back to our story. Now, what happens? So Esau's born first. Esau, is a reason no mamas and daddies are naming their little baby boys Esau. Because what it means is hairy. Red and hairy. He had hairy red hair covering his entire body. That's what it says in Genesis 25. This was the ugliest baby that had ever been born in the history of babies. I mean really, I mean when I picture Esau even from the time he was born, little baby covered in red hair, I picture Chewbacca. You know, Chewie the, the Wookiee Star Wars. I mean that, that was him. Ugly baby. Let's just be honest. Sometimes you've you've been introduced to a brand new baby, friend, family member and you're going, "Who, he's so cute, he's so cute." And inside you're going, "That's the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life." I'm just saying what you're thinking. Now they they all they all become cute eventually, they just don't all start out that way. Little Esau didn't start out that way. He was one hairy baby. He was a hairy, hairy man. You know how I know? Because Jacob would steal his older brother's blessing when Isaac was now blind and old age and he's about to die. You had the birthright, you had the blessing. Because his father's now blind, he masquerades as Esau to steal the blessing of the older brother. He he puts goatskin on his arms and goatskin on the back of his neck, knowing that he'll sound like Jacob. But because his brother is blind, or his dad is blind, his dad would ask to feel him. And that's exactly what happens in Genesis 27. Come here, my son, let me feel your arms. And Isaac says, well, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. Esau was one hairy dude goat skin. So he puts his hand on the back of that hairy neck and he blesses him. He steals his older brother's blessing. Several years earlier, he had stolen his birthright. So Esau was a hunter. He was his dad's favorite. His dad loved the taste of venison and Esau was a hunter, and he'd go out, and he'd shoot a deer, and he'd bring it home. His dad loved Esau because he was a, the hunter. And one day, he comes in from hunting. He'd been gone all day, maybe several days, and he comes in. He is absolutely famished, hadn't shot anything, hadn't had anything to eat. His stomach is empty, and he is so hungry. He is so famished. And you have Jacob, who was his mother's favorite, kind of a mama's boy. He'd been in the kitchen while his brother was hunting, and he had made a pot of stew And he offers his older brother to sell his birthright for a pot of stew, a bowl of beans. And that's exactly what Esau did. Not only was Esau, I'm convinced, the hairiest man alive, he might have been the dumbest man alive because he sold his birthright for a pot of beans. Do you understand, church, that when we choose to live for sin instead of living for him, we sell our birthright as God's children. We sell our birthright for nothing more than a pot of beans. Jacob is a man, honestly, that if he were alive today, he'd be trying to con you on Facebook to get money out of you. By the way, I will never message you on Facebook or Instagram and ask you to donate money to anything. That's not me. I hear from people from time to time Pastor Phil is this you? It is not me. If anybody ever asks you for money on social media, masquerading as Pastor Phil, you know right away, it's not me. I'm telling you that because it happened this week. If Jacob were alive today, guess what? That'd probably be him. He was a con man. Until God changed him. Jacob, you know, had 12 sons. One of those sons was Judah. Do you understand why Jesus in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5 is called the lion of the tribe of Judah? Because in Genesis 49 and verse 10, God made a prophecy that one day this promised seed would come through the line of Judah. In Genesis 49 and verse 10, it said the scepter will not depart from Judah. The scepter represented royalty. A scepter was carried by a king, and God has promised that one day the Savior King would be born of the line of Judah, and that's exactly what happens. Jacob had has 12 sons. He fathers 12 sons. That fathers 12 tribes. They're known as the tribes of Jacob or the tribes of Israel. Judah is one of those sons. And I'm telling you, Judah was anything but a good man, much less a godly man. So in Genesis 38, I'm telling you, it reads like a bad sitcom, a really, really, bad soap opera. You've got Judah who sleeps with his daughter-in-law unwittingly, thinking she's a prostitute. Yeah, it's ugly. The insanity of the nativity is found in the insanity of the depravity of Jesus' genealogy. So you have this woman named Tamar who poses as a prostitute because in these days a widowed woman was to be allowed to marry her dead husband's brother. So somebody would take care of her. Well, you have Judah that he won't give his daughter-in-law his youngest son to marry. And she realizes... He's not going to make good on the promise. I need to take something into my own hands. This is what I'm going to do. He goes up to see the sheep being sheared. It's a time of festivities in Genesis 38. And she knows her father-in-law well. He's probably going to be inebriated. He's going to be drinking. I'm going to position myself like a prostitute on the side of the road, knowing ahead of time what he'll do. He'll proposition me. And what's amazing about this story, that's exactly what happened. You have Judah who propositions his own daughter-in-law, thinking she's a prostitute, but before they make a deal, she says to him, what will you give me? He says, well, I'll give you one of my young goats. I don't have it right now, but I promise to send it when I get back. And she says, oh no, you gotta give me some collateral, big boy. And so that's what he, she, he does. What, what do you have to give me right now that I can hang on to till you pay up? He gives her his staff, and his signet ring. Now in the ancient days, wealthy men of a state would have had a staff, it was a unique identifying characteristic that he carried, as well as a signet ring. It was his symbol, his sign. It would be like giving somebody today your credit card, your social security number, your driver's license. I mean, we're talking what identifies you personally, he gives it away to make this deal with this prostitute. So what happens? Several months later, he can't find her to pay up with this young goat. He lets the matter drop. Somebody comes to him and says, hey, your daughter-in-law has come up pregnant. What should we do with her? She's not married. She's obviously played the harlot. She's been immoral. What shall we do? Judas says, bring her in. Let's burn her. Well, that's exactly what she does, comes in. And behind her back, she presents... A staff and a signet ring. And says, well, I'll tell you, if you can tell me who these belong to, I'll tell you who the father is of my baby. Oops. Bet you could have heard a pen drop. Gotcha. And from that immoral, incestuous relationship, a baby is born that would become a direct descendant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is God trying to teach us? Jesus came for sinners. He came for the worst among us. So fast forward to David, you've heard of King David. So years and years later, generations later, David is born. David becomes the king over Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter seven, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, God tells David, listen, one of your seed, one of your sons is gonna establish your throne forever and sit on your throne forever. It's called the Davidic covenant. God was promising David that one day, one of your sons is gonna establish your dynasty, your kingdom forever and ever endeavor, endeavor. This is why Jesus is called the son of David. Isaiah 9 and verse 7 says he will sit on David's throne forever. Do you understand who David is? Greatest king in all of Israel's history. Yet here is a man who commits adultery and then murders the woman's husband to cover it up. I told you it's a really bad soap opera. What is God trying to teach us? The insanity of Calvary is seen in the insanity of the human depravity of Jesus's genealogy. And all of these men that sin so deeply, so horribly are today called the heroes of the faith. They're the ones that would give us Jesus. I don't know where you find yourself today, but I know that we have all sinned. No, maybe you've never committed adultery, murdered the woman's husband to cover it up. Maybe you've never slept with your daughter-in-law. On the other hand, maybe you have. We live in a world full of sin, full of wickedness, a world that has been cursed by sin, all of creation under the curse of sin. But God promised one day, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, the last Adam, another Adam would come to undo the curse of the first. And all that God would have done through the first Adam, that commission was canceled. He will complete through the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, a kingdom that will be without end. The only question is, have you trusted in him? Do you personally? Know him. Romans 3 and verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no not one. We can look back at these men and go, how could they? The reality is there's none righteous, no not one. Romans 3:23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the bad news gets worse. Romans 6:23, it says, The wages of sin is death. Adam, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The wages of sin is always death, not just physically, but eternally. But the good news of the gospel, the insanity of Calvary, is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5 and verse 8. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The insanity that the sinless Son of God took upon himself all of our sin, though he himself never sinned. Every time you ever lied, it was placed on him. Every time you ever lusted, it was placed on him. Every time you ever stole something, it was placed on him. Every time you had a dirty thought or said a dirty word, it was all placed on him. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him to restore a kingdom that'll be without sin, that will be without end, image bearers, children of God, kingdom heirs, of a kingdom that will one day last Forever Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of Jesus? If not, why not? Today can be the day. And for those of us that has, listen, the response of those who have received God's gift so freely is to love and live generously. Would you bow with me? Let's pray right now. Every head bowed, wherever you're watching, worshiping from, if you're not certain today of your destiny eternally, all that can change. Not by working harder, trying harder, not a New Year's resolution. What you need is redemption. Jesus alone is the solution. Have you received him? If you're in this Lee Summit Auditorium, there's gonna be a response team right here at this platform. They wanna talk to you after the service is over. They're gonna answer your questions. Pray with you. If you're at Blue Springs or Independence, same for you. If you're online today, you can click on a link. If you want to know more about what it means to know Jesus, today can be the day. 2,000 years ago, God made His move. His name is Jesus. And now God is waiting on you. Jesus, I pray for every person today. And For those of us that know you, to choose the insanity of generosity because you chose the insanity of Calvary. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, will you give Jesus the glory today? Praise him, would you? I love you all very much. I hope you have a super blessed Sunday. God bless you. God, go with you.
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at AbundantLifeLS.